Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. And uh, are you talking about your earlier days in life? The, what you no, used to? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was eavesdropping on the conversation. Then. <laughs> all right. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9 today. Um, I'm going to probably read through the whole chapter before we get started. Um, but we're probably not going to get very far past verse 1. And uh, I, I approach this study humbly today because there's probably people in the room that know more about what we're going to discuss than I do and uh, are more knowledgeable. So uh, I look forward to open discussion and uh, searching the Scripture with you um, as much as teaching. So uh, let's pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Again, for, your di for the day that you've given us today, the love that you give us today. And Lord, the, uh, the, the renewal every morning that we receive from you, um, Lord, through obedience and through your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just help us to understand more about you today. Um, Lord, I pray that our desires come uh, into alignment with your desires today. And Lord, that we just allow you to change us in that way. And I just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today, 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to read um, the entire chapter real quick. Um, and if you could, if you want to hear a title, um, <laughs> I just put down, read me my rights. Um, so uh, Paul is describing his authority as an apostle um, through, actually from starting about chapter 8 through chapter 11, he's given uh, a number of descriptors that validate his apostleship um, and also to uh, go after or uh, correct the self-centeredness of the Corinthian people. And uh, so we'll just go ahead and we'll dive right in. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am an apostle to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas, who lack the right not to work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen and the, and Excuse me, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we ask a material harvest from you? If others have this right to support uh, of support from you shouldn't we have it all the more but we did not use this right 
On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than to allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Since I am compelled to preach, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I may, might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So after last week, you know, when Paul was talking about um, the things that he cuts out of his life for the sake of being respectful of what someone else may think as holy, you know, he's describing... uh, circumstances here where if you if you look at every time he goes into a city um, to to share the gospel for the first time he he immediately goes in he gets a job and he actually picks up on the culture around him he starts taking in things about how they live so that he is able to accurately present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them where they're at and so this chapter here in chapter 9, he's, he's giving that description to the Corinthians as well. But he begins by identify him, identifying himself by saying, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Um, so the question I'm going to ask that many of you may have more answer to than, than what I have found in my study is, what are some or what are the identifying marks of a true apostle? How would you describe an apostle to someone as we read Paul describing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ? What are the markers that you would look for uh, in a person 
that is describing themselves as an apostle. Okay. Okay. Two very important markers right there. So the word ap apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, and it's a direct commission by Jesus Christ, or which means sent one. So anytime you see Paul use the word apostle, it's always in his greeting um, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if we back up just to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, So, and, and what Jim said, an apostle is sent by Jesus Christ. It's always the will of his Father, and we always see that uh, put together with that as well. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So, uh, <clears throat> it's important that he puts in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ in that sentence with that, because the apostle standing alone means just means one sent. So a master of a person can have an apostle to themselves, uh, and it's a true, it's a correct description of the word apostle, but Paul is saying specifically an apostle of Jesus Christ and in, in accordance to what God's will is. And so he, he makes sure that that is clear from the beginning um, and if we look at 2 Corinthians, he starts 2 Corinthians the same way. We'll look at a couple of his letters just quickly uh, that give those descriptions. And of course, in 2 Corinthians, he, um, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The, the exact same sentence to this point. Uh, and he says, and Timothy, our brother, he doesn't acknowledge Timothy as an apostle. He doesn't acknowledge Sosthenes as, as an apostle either. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. So if we go to Ephesians 1, we're just going to look at a couple of these. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. Same, same language here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Again, he's acknowledges himself as the apostle, uh, and he acknowledges the people of Ephesus as faithful, but he's not telling them that they have or possess any apostolic gifts at this point. Um, Colossians 1, the same thing. Um, you, can, you can go through these and you can just see one right after another. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters of Christ. So we see that Paul is directly appointed... Um, 2 Timothy 1.1 reads the same way. We won't go there, but you can look at it if you like on your own. Um, the clear testimony of Paul's writing is that he is an apostle because he had been chosen for that role specifically by God. And he, uh, he goes into a little more detail in Galatians chapter 1. If we look there, Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read 15 and 16.
He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Uh, I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to come back to this passage in a few minutes. Um, but the, another thing is, uh, another uh, true marker of an apostle is one who is pointed, appointed directly by God, according to this particular passage here. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, um, I'm convinced that the, at the meeting, or the, uh, I forgot how you described it, uh, the other day, what, what word you use? But anyway, when the three before the foundation of the world had decided that Jesus was going to be the one that was crucified uh, to bring redemption to the world and to, for us to be able to be saved, when that was all decided, I'm convinced that at that point, all of the, all of the apostles were marked at that time as well. And so Paul is, is acknowledging that even before he was born, God had already set him apart for the work that he was going to do. And that included, I'm convinced that that included all of the training that Paul went through or Saul went through up to the point of his conversion. Okay, so understanding the law, uh, positioning him to be a Roman as well as a Jew, um, and, and all of the things that transpired in his life, and even to the point of allowing him to execute Christians to, to bring humility to his life later. You know, there's, there's things that I can look back on in my life now that I, as a, as a follower of Christ today, I look back on some of the things that I've done and, and I think to myself, how could I have done something like that? You know, um, and I haven't done, well, I shouldn't say that because Jesus describes hatred as being the same as killing somebody. So, uh, you know, I can say honestly that I've, I've had hatred in my heart for people before. Um, so I, the, the, the potential... And the, and the propensity to, to kill somebody is in every single one of us. But um, anyway, um, according to John 21, if we look there, we see an appointment, uh, a specific appointment by God. We're going to read verses 15 through 25. And he's talking to Peter here as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Um, No, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, that's correct. I got several passages in John. I'm getting them confused. So John 21. As soon as I can find my spot here. If you're there, somebody go ahead and read 15 through 25. Said this to indicate the plan of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, and he wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. Okay, Jesus did many other things as well. And if, if, every, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so Peter is, is being addressed by Jesus himself um, on how he's, how he's going to die, how he is going to give his life. And this is, of course, just a little while after Peter gives affirmation to Jesus in the, uh, that he would go to the cross with Jesus, for Jesus, or in his place, and Jesus said, no, not tonight. Not today. You're not going to. And, and Peter was, he was offended by the truth at that moment, and he's offended by the truth now, you know, because he's looking at um, what Jesus is describing. He's asking him, do you love me? And Peter's saying, of course. And so, of course, Peter's definition of love in this moment and Jesus' def definition of love in that moment is not, they're not the same yet. And so Jesus is trying to, or not trying to, he is, he's bringing Peter to the place of, you said you will die for me, and this is the kind of love it's going to take for you to lay down your life for me. And you will get, you will be that. You will enter into that kind of love, and it's going to start today. And, you know, as we read this, he describes, Peter, this is how you're going to die for me. You, what you said before is true. The timing was just in the wrong place. And so Jesus is, has instated him as an apostle because he received that direct instruction and, and um, command from Jesus to go and defeat his sheep. So we see that picture here. If we look at Acts 26, Paul is describing to, um, I forgot his name, Agrippa, thank you. I kept thinking it was Felix, but it's not Felix, it's Agrippa. He's describing to King Agrippa the experience that he had and the command that God gave him specifically. Acts 26, verses 12 through 20. He says, On one of those journeys I was going to Damascus when the authority and the commission of the chief priests, uh, with the authority and commission of the chief priests, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me, and my, companion, uh, my companions, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by me by faith in me. So there's another description of repentance right there in that verse. Um, and he goes on, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So the office of apostleship, um, in the office, in that office, yes. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because. Um, any, and I think it's that way, if I'm not mistaken, every time you hear Jesus use those exact words, that is what he is saying, is he is sending him specifically. Um, so, and which brings up another question that, uh, to be thinking about later, um, how many apostles are there? And so, just think about that for a minute, and then we'll come back to that question. <laughs> Can we know? Absolute, with absolute assurity how many apostles there actually are or were. So anyway, the office of apostleship. Uh, in that office, the apostle carries the authority of the sender and is accountable to his sender. So Jesus Christ himself wears the name apostle as one of his descriptive titles in Hebrews chapter 3. If we go to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, we'll see there, that, uh, that he is called a sent one or an apostle. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. So he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest, so Jesus was actually, he was sent to earth by the Heavenly Father um, with God's authoritative message. And uh, he, he faithfully delivered that. So if we go back to John again, we're going to look at chapter 13 and chapter 17. John chapter 13, verses uh, 12 through 17 When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also, also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
the word apostello is implied here. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So then if we turn to John 17, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is acknowledging that he's done exactly everything that his father has described that he would do while he was on the earth. He says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Can anybody, <laughs> can anybody say what Jesus has said in verse 4? I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I'm not sure about what the answer to that question is. Um, I look at what Paul writes about running the race and finishing the race well. Um, and I look at what, you know, some of the other writers have written about fully surrendering to Jesus Christ. But I think Jesus Christ, from the day he was born to the day he hung on the cross and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and continues on, is the only one that can truly say, I've done exactly everything I was supposed to do, and I didn't do exactly everything that I wasn't supposed to do. Um, and that was decided again beforehand. Um, and just an amazing display. I, I just, I, I'm always overwhelmed when I read chapter 17 of John um, at Jesus' full humanity and his full God godliness um, or, you know, just the, everything that he went through, everything that he uh, experienced and felt and completely surrendered his physical body to everything that in a person, a physical person has to go through in their life. So then, um, the fourth thing, the uh, apostolic trait that we can look at is candidates need to have been with Jesus during the whole three years uh, that Jesus was among them, according to Peter's description in Ch Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. We're going to read that. Um, and with that, I asked the question that I asked earlier, how many apostles were there? <laughs> Jim's smiling because he's already got an answer. Okay. Let me, let me, <laughs> we know that Peter's wrong across the gamut of apostleship, but for this uh, particular case right now, he could still be wrong? You think so? Okay, well, I never looked at it that way. I would say I agree with you, but for different reasons. Um, so anyway, uh, and I'll mention that here in just a minute. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, Peter says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, Brothers and sisters, 
the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who attested uh, or for those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payments he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Ecladema, that is, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time, the Lord, uh, the, the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots, and their lot fell on to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So I understand where you're coming from. My question is, is why didn't God <laughs> just, just throw it all out? Say, huh. Is that there's supposed to be another? Yeah, we never hear from Matthias, but is there historical accounts of, of his apostolic ministry? Not really? Okay. Because, I mean, we, like from this point on, uh, do we hear from, you know, we hear about Thomas or, you know, any of the others as well. But there is history that tells us that Thomas was the evangelist or the missionary to India, um, and he was martyred there and that kind of thing. So is there... And the reason why I ask that question is um, I'm, I'm looking at the aspect of the three years that they spent with, with Jesus. I think that's significant in that Paul spent three years in Arabia as well. So to, um, to fulfill the descriptors that Peter is giving here as far as the qualifications for how he's choosing a, the replacement for Judas here, Paul fills that completely in in another way of some sort or another so paul is is extremely educated i mean he's he's educated far beyond any of the other disciples as well as he is taught one-on-one tutored you know by jesus himself um, in probably a much more intense atmosphere of instruction Um, and the thing that i find interesting if we go to uh Let's see, Galatians 1. And we read a little bit about this. And it's mentioned in Acts as well. 
Um, I'm not sure if we'll have time to get to that one yet, but Galatians 1, uh, verses 11 through 20. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not out of human origin, nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by his, excuse me, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not even go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And after, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God, that's what I'm writing to you is no, is no lie. And so he mentions James here. Is James an apostle? Okay. He is. Right. And so which one is, which one is this? This is James, son of Joseph, Joseph, the writer, the writer of James, so the sibling of Jesus, um, and James describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He does not, when he addresses his in his own letter, he does not even address himself as an apostle. He says, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Timothy, um, he's described the same way as a servant of Jesus Christ. And you could say he would, you could, he could consider him an apostle of Paul because Paul sends him to do the work of the ministry, which is the same work that Jesus is doing, but he's actually being commissioned by Paul, not by Jesus Christ himself. So he's not called an apostle. So today, if you hear people or someone say anything about Jesus is rising up uh, new apostles for today, you can know that that is a false teaching um, because the signs and wonders that were described earlier that, um, that defined a true apostle of Jesus um, back in Acts, um, those things stopped when the last apostle died. So any type of signs and wonders in the Bible that happened outside of the apostolic ministry were called by Paul and by the apostles. They were called um, works of sorcery or magician or um, it's a word actually in the Greek word. I forget exactly what it is, but it's, it's the name. It's how we get the name uh, pharmacy uh, today, pharmaceuticals. 
Um, and, it's, and it's an altering of the mind using, using uh, m- different types of sorcery, different ki- types of magic, witchcraft, those kinds of things. So there's a, there's a caution there because there are so many things today. There's, there's a number of churches that practice these things. I use the term church kind of loosely there. Um, but they practice those kind of things, um, calling themselves churches, calling themselves godly, when the reality is, is it's mysticism uh, in modern day. So, and uh, most of the time, if you, if you go into the scripture, if you want to take someone um, that believes that into the scripture, they will take you into Acts, and they will say, well, they did all these things, but you'll never see where any of those signs and wonders were transferred from the apostles to the believers. Okay, they were never transferred to the church. Um, they used them to draw people to Jesus Christ and to authenticate that they were sent by Jesus Christ specifically. But every other follower that came along as a result of the message that was being brought were not able to or allowed to perform those types of signs and wonders um, to, to validate themselves as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's a good question because is it because Philippians was written but later farther on Paul writes to more humble Jews who were judging Christ. Yeah. So his first letter is Galatians. Paul Oh, that's Apostle. that's right. You're right. And then you just came through um, Paul the least of the apostles. And then he just goes on and Paul the least of the saints. Yeah. By the time he writes to Timothy he says Paul the least of all saints. Right. Right. Um, and he even goes to the point, I forget, in one of the passages I think that I might have had down, that he says, I, I, don't even think, I don't even feel that I'm worthy to be called an apostle. And so that very well could be um, why, he, why he does. And, and, I, and I agree with you, the, the closer we get to Christ, the, the more I feel like I'm not even worthy to, to be, um, to sing praise, to serve you. Yeah, how can you... I'm <laughs> I think of how he used the donkey. Well, I I'm kind of on that level, you know. I I just uh No, you can't. But uh I I think it comes to a when I begin to and this happens from time to time, um when I become begin to get argumentative with people, I, be, I it's it's not very long after that where Jesus reminds me um you're thinking more highly of yourself than you should. And, you know, and that happens. I mean, I, I, that happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you, but um, these, are, these are things that I'm constantly in need of being reminded of to, to remain humble, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, we'll read one more passage, First uh, Corinthians 15. Actually, two. I have two passages for you uh, before we uh, go on and answer the question that I asked earlier. First Corinthians 15, we'll read 1 through 11. 
says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on, on which you have been taken which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, uh, appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Uh, And this is where he says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. So then I go back to the question, <clears throat> how many apostles were there? And can we know? What's that? I think if we use a capital A, there were two. If we, if we use a what? Capital A. A capital A apostle? That's a good point. Right. Right. I really think that Okay. Yeah, that's true. Right. Prophet, yes. Yeah, and that's an important thing too. Yeah, it, and, it, and it can be because the, the term or the word prophet, I'm convinced that the resurrection changes from one who um, is God's messenger to man to one who foretells the message about Jesus Christ. So when we read about prophecy in the New Testament, I don't know that it's 100%, but a large majority of the time, if you research the word, the Greek word that prophecy is used from it is forward telling of the message about jesus christ and the mystery uh that paul brings to light as well about well it's a spiritual gift right right Right. Right. So in Matthew, when when Jesus gives the Great Commission, you know, he's giving that for every follower of Jesus Christ to to go and to share the gospel and to disciple with one another. Um, 
the, the question that crossed my mind about the apostles were the two on the road to Emmaus. Um, were they apostles because they were in the room when Jesus appeared with the dis- you know they they had gone to the disciples um, to tell them about what had happened, and Jesus appears into the in the room and and displays himself to them at that moment as well and so my question was were they given the same commission um, as the apostles and Jim shaking his head no I'm not sure of that okay okay that's right right the 500 and right they're not yeah, and, and so the the defining, I guess you could say, difference you could uh, between them and the true apostles is they're not performing signs and wonders and they're not writing scripture. Right. So Paul had to defend himself in his first letter. Right. But when I come to your town, I'm still surprised that you sent me. Right. Yes. So there's not many people that have that relationship. Right. So um, just real quickly, I just wanted to bring one point to light, and then we'll wrap it up here. Um, in First Corinthians nine again, um, at the end of the first verse, he says, "Are you not the result of my work in the Lord?" Paul's not in this whole chapter. He doesn't give the definition or. Uh, description of an apostle but what he is saying is everything that's happened in the interaction that we've had with each other and the change that Jesus has made in your life and what you've seen in me should prove to you should be sufficient to prove to you that I am truly an apostle and so you know he's given that description that the evidence that they are changing, that Jesus is working in them as a result of his, the message that Paul brings to them, is proof enough to say that he is a po- an apostle. Um, and of course, then in the next couple of verses, he goes on with that defense. And the chapter is full of questions, you know, and every single question that he asks, they, have to, they, they cannot um, deny that the answer is yes. You were sent by Jesus here. Yes, you were sent by Jesus here. Yes, you were sent here. Yes, yes, yes. Everything is, is affirmation um, that he is an apostle. And so, of course, he includes in, in verse 5, don't we have the right to take a believing wife? And, of course, he are, he's affirming what he's saying in chapter 7, um, that whether you get married or whether you don't get married, one's not right and one's wrong. They're both right. If you have the gift of celibacy or if you don't have the gift of celibacy, you follow Jesus Christ with whatever that, whether he's given you that gift or not. And so following Christ means being obedient um, in standing against immorality and following God's law. So thank you for your attention this morning. We'll pick this up. This will probably be like a three-part or maybe even four-part chapter. And... uh, Look forward to celebrating the Lord's table with you in a few moments. Thank you.